Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. Alan Kohler here for today's interview, and with me today is Eric Voorhees, the CEO and founder of Shapeshift, a money exchange for cryptocurrencies. Eric is one of the leading experts on the subject of cryptocurrencies and blockchain around the world, having been in this area for quite some time. His thoughts are really intriguing, and I recommend you listen right to the end of this interview. So here he is, Eric Voorhees, the CEO and founder of Shapeshift. Perhaps we could just start, Eric, uh, telling us about your business, Shapeshift. It seems to me you're a bit like the um, uh, the currency stand, currency exchange stand at the airport, where you just walk up. You don't need an account. You just walk up and switch one currency into another. Is that kind of how it is? Yep, that's that's often the analogy that I like to use because everyone understands what that is. So um, yeah, Shapeshift is a exchange for digital assets, digital currencies, and other blockchain-based tokens. Um, and the way it works is you just arrive at the site, you tell us what you have, like Bitcoin, and you tell us what you want, like Ethereum. Um, you send us the Bitcoin and we send you Ethereum. And it's at a you know predetermined exchange rate that's updating in real time uh, with the markets. And you take a little clip as your fee then? Um, so we, uh, again, similar to the, the airport kiosk, we sell it at an exchange rate that's slightly worse than what we can get in the other markets. So the spread between those two is where our revenue comes from, which ends up being an average of about half a percent. Right. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, there are a thousand, more than a thousand um, cryptocurrencies. Um, you don't actually exchange them all, do you? You have a, a list of the ones that you choose. How do you choose which ones you're going to exchange? Um, yeah. Yeah, so you know there are a few thousand of these now. The vast majority of them are completely worthless and stupid. Um, but you know the top few dozen are are worth talking about. Um, so Shapeshift supports about fifty or sixty of the top assets, and um, basically we add them whenever the whenever an asset achieves sufficient market activity. So if, if it's trading uh, with a high daily trade volume on other major exchanges, you know, at some point it, it gets our attention and then we consider adding it. So, you know, we, we try to determine, you know, if this is just an outright scam, we won't add it. But um, other than that, if the market is interested in trading the asset, we'll, we'll generally get it up on Shapeshift. So, so how do you and how should people uh, generally um, figure out which ones are scam, which ones are stupid, you know, and, and which ones are worth uh, taking time with? How, how do you do that? Um, well, it requires a little bit of responsibility on the part of uh, a consumer. Some, some consumers are w- willing to take on some responsibility in their lives and others have a problem with that. Um, generally, you can think of it like, you know, any sort of, new business industry in which most of the projects will fail, not necessarily because they were scams, but just because they were well-intentioned projects that just will will never achieve success. So most of these coins won't ever become anything important, just like most dot-coms in the 90s never became anything important. 
But from, from the whole horde of them, some of them will absolutely change how the world works. And trying to figure out which one that is, is what the market is good for. Um, so that's why people buy and sell these things. They speculate on what they think will be valuable. Some people have good reasons for those beliefs and some people have bad reasons. And from that complexity, you get, uh, you get markets and, and all the prices from that. Is it, um, is it true? I mean, I've been looking at it and it seems to me that there's, um, two broad kinds of, uh, cryptocurrencies. One, one kind that, um, uh, is designed as a payment system, where the only purpose of them, or the, the purpose of them, is to um, is to exchange money or to re, to replace money, in fact, and that those coins are kind of uh, vying with each other to become the main thing that replaces money. And then there's a whole lot of other ones that are, um, out, are outgrowths of a business. They kind of are issued by a business um, to, in a sense, participate or to buy some of the business's products. Is that a is that a reasonable way of looking at it? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, so I, I try not to use the term cryptocurrency too often anymore because a lot of these assets are not trying to be currency, as you mentioned. Um, so I call them digital assets or, or blockchain assets. Um, some of them are certainly trying to be a new form of money, like you know Bitcoin was the original. Um, things like Litecoin or Dash um, are trying to be payment methods. Um, and then there are a whole host of other assets that are, are not. Um, Ethereum is, is debatable, you know, whether it's trying to be a cryptocurrency or not. Ethereum's blockchain does things that Bitcoin doesn't, and the Ethereum token is needed to um, power that. So basically, there's just a lot of complexity, and each asset really has to be considered on its own merits. Some of them compete with each other in certain ways. Some of them are complementary to each other. Uh, and no one really knows, you know, what the landscape will look like in 10 years. There might be, you know, one or a few major cryptocurrencies and millions of digital assets. Maybe there's only one cryptocurrency. Maybe there's 50 cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, I don't think it helps the world to have hundreds of different kinds of currency because currency is really meant to just be a unit of, of measurement. Um, but there, there very likely will be millions of different digital assets. Yeah, so um, a lot of people kind of um, uh, say, uh, you know, like traditional economists and so on are saying the whole thing is uh, doomed to f uh, to collapse into zero because um, these things are worth nothing at all. Um, <laughs> yes, the, the uh, same traditional economists that didn't see the financial crisis happening um, are now quite sure of what crypto will do. Uh, they They certainly have very little understanding of how actual markets work. They have a certain central planning style of viewpoint in which, you know, government is the center of all value and, and controls how money should work and everything else derives from that. So crypto really is, I think, a rebellion against that idea. And it, it's a, a proposal that basically says money should arise from a marketplace like any other good. Uh, and I think a lot of traditional economists have a really big problem with that. I'm reading your Twitter feed, Eric. Um, you strike me as an anarchist. And I just wonder if you have to be an anarchist to um, to be in this field. No, uh, no, on both accounts. I'm I'm not an anarchist, although I understand those arguments and I think there's some merit there. I'm not convinced that zero government would be the right way for the world to work. Um, 
But I also think the vast majority of what government does is both highly inefficient and highly unethical um, and (laughs) basically steals a bunch of money from people to cause all sorts of problems around the world. So I'm not a big fan of government generally. Um, But people that are in the crypto world have lots of different mentalities. I think back when I got involved in 2011, you know, the vast majority were very much libertarian minded, similar to me. But as it's grown, it's pulling in wider and wider swaths of society. And the, the opinions of people that are in the crypto community at this point is, is much more diverse. I mean, it does. Um, uh, one of the things that interesting, that's interesting, and, and I think that a lot of um, uh, traditional kind of economists and um, business people have difficulty with is that a lot of the people behind the cryptocurrencies, and by that I'm talking about the ones that are trying to become the new money, are uh, not well, their foundation. They're not profi- they're not for profit foundations, and so I think a lot of people have the, uh, difficulty getting their heads around that. Well, some of them are more weird than that. You know, some of them are not even foundations. They are simply groups of uh, volunteers, essentially that that are working on a software project together. Some of them might work on it for a long time. Some of them might only contribute a little bit and then leave again. And these are sort of decentralized open source projects. Um, and I think a lot of people have trouble understanding how that works generally in software development, but it's it's a highly proven model um, that tends to result in very well-tested code and some very creative ideas. So, um, you know, certainly some cool stuff can come out of that. Bitcoin itself, of course, was not a company at all. It never has been. It was started by one guy who has long since disappeared, and now it's worked on by, you know, many hundreds or thousands of engineers around the world, um, all of whom have their own roles and projects, but who help and build this this ecosystem. But what do they all think that they are doing? Well, it's not a uniform group. So some of these people are in it for very ideological reasons. You know, they think money should not be centrally planned and controlled by um, a government. And so they are contributing a part of their life to helping work on a project that gives people an alternative. Others are just highly fascinated by the cryptography and the math and the technical aspects of how it works. So they don't necessarily have any ideological care about it, but they, they just think it's cool technology. Um, a lot of people are in it for business reasons. They see this as a way of changing how value and transactions between humans work. They see revenue opportunities and, and um, you know, a lot of people cross between these groups as well. Um, um, I, I'm sitting here looking at your website um, as I talk to you and the Bitcoin price has just popped below uh, 10000 which kind of... Mm-hmm. Um, reminds us that um, it's been a pretty uh, tough month for Bitcoin investors and crypto investors generally. Um, yeah, uh, but so what is your perspective on the market? Yeah, so um, certainly January 2018 has not been good for Bitcoin in terms of the price. Price is around $10,000 right now, and it was at $19,000 in the middle of December. Um, so that looks that looks horrible. But a year ago, it was twelve hundred dollars, and you know, a year before that, it was five hundred. Uh, five years ago, it was ten dollars. So um, 
it depends on what your time frame is to to assess this. I mean, generally, crypto um, has moved in these large speculative cycles that can be a few months or a couple years. And uh, so there'll be a, a period of time where it's relatively stable and, um, you know, the, the news media isn't really talking about it that much. And then people, you know, more and more people start getting interested in it. There's only so many of the, of the coins available. So the price starts moving up. And after that happens for a while, people are like, hey, this thing is, you know, rising by 10% a month for the last 12 months. Um, and then, you know, that kind of just encourages a, a new speculative cycle and people buy it up purely because they see the price rising. Uh, and this could be, you know, a, a grandma that sees a, something on TV about it, or it could be a professional money manager. Um, they all chase assets when they're rising as much as they like to pretend they don't. Um, and then at some point that, that has to correct. Uh, it's, there's, you know, an asset can only rise so much before people start thinking, okay, maybe this is overvalued. And, uh, then the cycle, you know, peaks and the, the price falls again. And that, that cycle has very little to do with the fundamental value of the technology. Um, you know, the, the value of Bitcoin steadily grows over time as it is adopted and, and the software is enhanced over time. That's sort of a, a linear thing or a slow exponential growth curve. But the price moves more on a psychological level. And people get excited and the price will, will soar up and then crash down um and you just you know it's highly speculative so people that are in these markets have to be comfortable with that kind of process yeah i mean the question is what is the value i suppose i mean you've you've been quoted as saying it's definitely all a bubble um but how do you know um if you don't know what the value of something is how do you know that the price is a bubble um well the, the first lesson of markets is that no one knows the value of anything uh, the value of a dollar, the value of an ounce of gold, the value of a car, or the value of a glass of water. All these things have different values to different people based on their individual circumstances. No, uh, but investment assets, so investment assets ten, you know, at least have the present value of future cash flows, which is kind of uh, the basis. Sometimes, uh, well, you sometimes know. they do. And, well, and even those it's, it's, cash flows are, are imagined, right? They're, they're not known. So well, they can be they can you, be a guess, but at least at least you're right. guessing at something that's real, you know. Well, what, what do you mean by real? I mean, a company that that projects sales in the future um, is not necessarily any more real than um, <laughs> than one that doesn't project sales in the future, but that actually grows into into a lower expectation. So, the the point is that nothing, no no price in an economy can ever be known. You just have a bunch of people making guesses based on certain information. Some of those guesses are good, some of them are bad, um, but everyone is guessing about everything, and that's what makes a market. Um, crypto doesn't have cash flows coming from it. At least most of the assets don't. Uh, but neither does gold or silver. Those are useful commodities that people find value in for various things. And crypto assets can be thought of similarly in that they are useful commodities. Bitcoin being useful because it is a global payment network that you can move value anywhere in the world at near zero cost without anyone being able to stop you. That's obviously valuable. So what, and since there are only so many Bitcoins, that infers that some kind of price is appropriate, whether that's a dollar or, or a million dollars. It has some, some value clearly, and, and so some price is reasonable. But no one can tell you what the correct price is. 
It's interesting because um, it seems to me, I mean, I'm, you know more about this than I do, but the, it seems to me that Ethereum should be more valuable than Bitcoin because it's, um, it involves smart contracts and it's a, it seems to be a more useful um, token or coin uh, the Bitcoin, which is expensive and slow and so on, um, yet uh, Ethereum is about one-tenth of the price of Bitcoin. Well, it's you should look at market cap, not price. So Ethereum is about two-thirds of the price of Bitcoin if you equalize for market cap. Right. Um, so they're fairly, fairly similar. Um, and while you're correct that a transaction on Ethereum is cheaper, um, Ethereum is also newer less tested and more complicated than Bitcoin in terms of its code base. So if you are storing, you know, $10 million of wealth, um, which is the better option? The thing that's been around for years longer and is simpler and thus fewer possible security holes or the newer, shinier, more complex thing that might have a faster transaction time or a cheaper one, but that isn't nearly as tested. So there's, you know, different people will value this stuff differently. If you're just trying to pay a friend at a bar for beers, Ethereum is much better right now because the fees are lower. But if you're trying to hold $10 million of value in a crypto, Bitcoin is the more conservative option. So so which of these coins do you think is likely to rise to the top? I mean, you'd be obviously aware of the, the passionate bitter contest between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash that's going on. but yeah. um, and, the, and there's less bitter contests going on, you know, with Litecoin and Ripple and Ether and all that. I, um, if you had to choose, which of which of the kind of, of that list of coins that's on your website is likely to um, is to likely to uh, survive and and become uh, a payment system? Um, you know, if I could only pick one crypto that would be the ultimate success long term. I think the odds are still with Bitcoin. It has a lot of problems and challenges, but um, it is still the most likely. It is the biggest blockchain. It is the most um, trusted blockchain, and it has the mo by far the most brand recognition. So I think Bitcoin is the most likely to stay at the top, but um, I think there's a reasonable chance that Ethereum could overtake it. So you know, the answer is I'm not sure. I think both Bitcoin and Ethereum are very solid assets, very good blockchains with a lot of great engineers and developers and businesses working with them. Um, and it's very possible that they both find different different use cases. Maybe Bitcoin is used more as a store of value or, or as an anchoring blockchain that people trust more and Ethereum is used for more complicated financial transactions or something like that. So it's, it it's probably like a, not a winner-take-all situation. It sounds like you think that it's really between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are certainly the the most likely, and and you know of course because that's they have the highest price and the highest market cap. So I'm simply agreeing with the market on that one. Um, anything else is going to be more speculative. It's it's newer. It has less brand recognition. You know some things might have technically better software than Bitcoin, but it's less tested. It's less known. Um, and and you know if you've studied the history of technology, it's not always the best one that wins. There are important network effects that can be very hard to overcome. Um, it's interesting. You said um, you used the term brand recognition, and um, uh, that's kind of, in a sense, that's reinforced by the fact that a whole lot of new coins come up using the Bitcoin brand, the Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin this and Bitcoin that, um, which is, everyone's trying to sort of um, 
milk that brand recognition as well. Yeah, I mean, in those in those specific examples, it's not just a project taking the name. Um, those projects are actual forks of the Bitcoin blockchain where a subset of the miners disagreed about the rule set and the chain forked. And then you had original Bitcoin and you had some new fork that shared the same history but is now separate. So it's reasonable that they have Bitcoin in the name, but they, they become their own assets. Yeah. Of course, the thing that all these things have in common is blockchain. What, what do you think yep. uh, is the future of blockchain? Well, um, so that would be very similar to someone saying, you know, what's the future of the Internet in 93? Even I'm asking you, is that like saying what's the future of Internet? Yeah, I, I think it's a good analogy. And even the people that were part of the Internet revolution would not have been able to tell you that Twitter was going to happen or that Facebook was going to happen. Um, they, you know, they may have they may have projected that a company like Amazon would exist that would handle all retail over the Internet. Uh, but that would sound kind of crazy back in 1993. Um, something like Netflix would have been thought impossible for technical reasons. So even the people that were experts back then would have had a really hard time predicting much of what actually happened on the Internet. I think the blockchain world will be similar. So I can make some projections about what I think will happen with this stuff, but I'll probably be wrong about a lot of it. Um, one thing I think is very likely, which is a macro trend and not a specific prediction, is that most of the financial world will be rebuilt on blockchains. So you have natively digital finance that's built on blockchains as opposed to analog finance that's built on banks and fiat currencies. I think that's a macro trend that seems almost inevitable. Um, specific form it'll take is up for debate, but um, I, I just see that as you know, pretty clear. And is it, in your view, possible for the financial system to be rebuilt on blockchain without also uh, including cryptocurrencies? Um, no, because uh, the fundamental value of a cryptocurrency is the ability to have, to not need permission to hold or transact or receive value. And I think as humanity starts to get a taste for what that means, they will demand it. And it will be hard to tell the people of the world, okay, there's this technology that allows you to have value and send it anywhere at near zero cost to anyone without anyone telling you no, but you're not allowed to use it. I think that's naive and impossible, really. Um, people will demand cheaper and cheaper transactions, they will demand more and more power and sovereignty over their own money and, and financial affairs. Um, and crypto gives them that, that ability. So I think cryptocurrencies will be um, absolutely part of the new financial world. And someday they will be the way that people transact. And it'll look very silly that a few years prior, people were handing out pieces of paper with you know, the pictures of dead people on them and that that was somehow seen as valuable. So, so the mantra that a lot of people use, which is that blockchain blockchain will last, but cryptocurrencies will not, is not is not true. That's just silly. <laughs> no, so no one in the crypto industry thinks that. The people who think that and the people that say that are banks and politicians, some of whom have or or economists, 
um, some of whom have very little understanding of how markets actually work, and some of whom have clear vested interests against cryptocurrencies becoming successful. So it's not surprising that they would say those things. And certainly for you know, many professionals, um, they can, in polite company, discuss blockchains. But if they bring up Bitcoin, it starts to go into a realm of uh, ideology and the questioning of the nature of money and, and you know, why is the government involved in creating and inflating money in the first place? And those, those kind of deep topics are difficult to discuss in professional environments. So it's very easy for those people to just talk about blockchains all day long because it doesn't come with any baggage. Um, nevertheless, crypto assets, cryptocurrencies are going to become uh, highly dominant, not overnight, but over the next five to 20 years. Maybe it comes down to spread, um, that what the traditional bankers and um, and everyone involved in that kind of financial sector uh, um, uh, defending is their spread, which is a lot more than your half percent. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, some people say that crypto will destroy banks, and that, that's not true. But crypto probably will, will change banks, and it will certainly remove some of the things that banks do. Um, and if you're a bank that does not like to innovate, which, you know, frankly, no banks do, they're all essentially just branches of the government and they are almost required by regulation not to innovate. So if you have that mindset, um, the, the thought of like rebuilding your entire model, which has been proven for the last hundred years, just because a bunch of kids start yelling about cryptocurrency is, you know, half annoying and, and half a little, a little scary and uncomfortable. So it's really not surprising, I think, that a lot of people in the traditional financial world are just b both bothered by crypto and some of them starting to get a little concerned about it. Well, it's been really great talking to you, Eric. I appreciate it. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show.